Hello and welcome to the Mike Dominic Show. It is the 18th of February. I hope you all had a lovely Valentine's Day. I am, as always, Mike Dominic. So today is pretty interesting. We have Eric Nance, who is um, the host of the R podcast. And to say he likes his data and his science together is like saying the Reese's Company, who I believe is owned by somebody else, but who cares for the metaphor, likes their chocolate and peanut butter, right? We have a pretty, I would say, pretty broad overview on all. Uh, kind of our programming and data science. It's a little out of my wheelhouse, but I found it very educational. And if you're either an IT admin or you're like me, a, you know, more, let's say, generalized software developer, I think you'll find the conversation really entertaining. As always, the show is brought to you by the Madbotter Inc. We are a software development company. If you need software developed, drop us a line at sales at themadbotter.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Dumanuko and enjoy the show. Hey, Eric, I've got these uh, a lot of data that I don't know what to do with. Can you help me with that? Oh, we might be able to do something with that, no matter big or small. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, today we have Eric Nance, AR. Can we say guru? Is that fair? I'd say that's fair. All right. And if you're like me, listener, you know almost nothing about R except that the white robe to clergy of data scientists use it. So, Eric, what's R? Oh, we have how much time do you have? <laughs> well, we're going to have fun with this. So first, uh, I'll share a little bit about my background. I am a classically trained statistician, but over time in my role, I've been picking up a lot more data science-like tasks. And what's really enabled almost every aspect of my job these days is the R language. So what is R in a nutshell? It's a kind of a jack-of-all-trades of a statistical computing language that has hooks to many different systems or integrations like C++, even Fortran for those that know that. And also one of its biggest strengths is that it has got a, it's open source, of course, and you can contribute an R package to have it published on the, what's called a comprehensive R archive network, which is really the biggest strength of R is the vast community that has built many, many packages. In fact, over 13,000 last I counted. And it's about a 20-year language, so it has a lot of history, a lot of quirks, but honestly, for statistics and data science, it has been the leader for many years now. With that said, it also, like I said, interoperates with a lot of different languages if you want to kind of mix and match together. But I do many different things with R, um, no matter analyzing a small data set, making my own data, or working with web APIs, I've been able to do it all with it. And it's got a, once you get over some quirks, if you're coming from a programming background, it's uh, quite powerful. Okay, so just backing up just a, a touch here, that that archive system, what was it called again? The R? The Comprehensive R Archive Network. You might call it CRAN for short. Okay. Is that so, I write a lot of Ruby, a lot of .NET now for something that's crazy that I'll talk about another day. Is that similar to like, you know, in Ruby, we have Ruby Gems, right? Yeah, Bundler. And in .NET, we have NuGet. I think Python has, well, I know Python has, you know, uh, pipenv, whatever, Py, you know, all, everything is like, right? In JavaScript, you have NPM. I could keep going down the list, but it seems like a waste of time. Is that the same idea where it's like a dependency management tool or is that completely off base? No, that's a very accurate way of depicting it. And what happens is R is governed by um, what's called the R core team. And in order to get a, a package published on CRAN, 
It has to meet the checks that are built into R itself, and then they have to approve it. And they've been building some automation here and there, but it is kind of a curated process to get a package on CRAN, and it's kind of viewed as a milestone in the community to have a package on there. So it does have a lot of ties, to, like you said, the other software languages and how they manage extensions. But that's actually super interesting. So like, I'm just going to pick on Ruby because it's my kind of my home language these days. You know, my dog could publish a gem. I don't know why she would, but she definitely could, right? <laughs> and no one looks at it, right? In fact, one of the challenges with large-scale Ruby on Rails projects is your gems can come out of sync with your other dependencies or each other, or God forbid, there's a vulnerability, right? A security vulnerability, something like that in a gem that either you directly depend on or even worse, a gem that you depend on depends on. Now, it, because it's just like a wide open field, right? In the R solution for this, of course, no one can guarantee absolute security and I'm not asking you to assert that, but is that kind of what's going on when you mention checks? Is this like security checks or is it more like a Rust system where you know we're checking to make sure your code is quote unquote safe? Yeah, so it's probably more like the Rust system and some other kind of built-in sanity checks on, you know, they have rules about how you document your functions, um, how you're referencing variables, making sure you're not doing random system calls that could destroy somebody's system, uh, things like that. But it is built into the language, this process called R command check, and it will let you see what the errors and warnings are. And then if you submit a package, the CRAN maintainers have automated servers that are doing these checks for them. And if there's anything flagged, they will obviously respond back to you and say, hey, you got to shore this up or it's not going on CRAN. So it is um, definitely there could be some slips and cracks, but I think the human element is, you know, while manual and at the end step, it's still very important to have that little, like I said, sanity check to make sure the package isn't doing something completely crazy. And they do have a thorough document what qualifies as an R package. And if anybody wants to read that verbatim, it'll take you a long time because it's over probably 150, 200 pages. But there are packages out there that let you kind of develop the boilerplate for running these checks. There's one called DevTools that does this quite nicely. But yeah, it's a really intricate system. But again, it's kind of viewed as a major milestone to have a package on CRAN because it meets these requirements. Very cool. So... Okay, who am I if I'm looking at R other than you know our very curious audience here? What what am I doing day to day? Eric, what the hell are you doing day to day? Come on, Mr. Nance, tell us. Oh, I got lots of share. So when I started with R, I was probably like a lot of people that come from statistics or now data science or frankly a mix of both where I learned it in a course. My professor learned R and S and S plus before that because R actually has a lot of origins with the S language, which came from Bell Labs, which of course is quite famous in the open source community with a lot of Unix, you know, origins there. So I started learning it through school, but then honestly, I think the major audience is primarily data scientists and researchers in statistics, both from academia and within industry like me. But we are in the last, I would say, decade or so starting to see more software engineers get to know R because of what's possible to link R to different frameworks. You can link it with Python. You can link it with C++. They get really high performance uh, computation. You can also link it with a lot of high performance computation grid backends to do simulations over a cluster of servers. And now 
more recently, you can build entire web applications with it, which is what I'm doing a lot day to day. So I'll do a mix of research into a statistical problem, but also putting an application in front of my research so that other users in my company who could not give a rat's behind about learning R itself and just want to run the algorithm, I can give them a nice point and click interface to get the job done. And that's been a lot of fun, actually, because now I'm kind of identifying myself just as much as a software engineer, as a data scientist and statistician. So it's you can come in with a lot of different backgrounds, but I think data scientist and statistician is who usually sees R first. Very cool. Very cool. So you mentioned web applications. Is there an equivalent to, say, a Ruby on Rails or a you know Python Flask in the R world? Yes, there is. And um, it's got a cool name. It's called Shiny. It comes from the RStudio team who have been around for about 10 years or so, but they make a lot of open source packages. And as of about four or five years ago, they made this package called Shiny, which is a wrapper to making web applications with JavaScript under the hood and with a React-like uh, paradigm. So it leverages something called reactive programming, where if you update something on the, the interface you're making, it has a downstream effect to invalidate and refresh updates to any other outputs like plots or data renders or anything like that in your application automatically. Um, it's a very intricate system, but I was an early adopter of it, and it has totally transformed the ways I communicate results, the ways I put front ends to what could be extremely complicated sets of R scripts and other system scripts so that the user just has to hit buttons, point and click, drag and drop, do whatever they want, and interactive results instead of me giving them like a 200-page PDF of a bunch of variables and their plots, and they can interact with this in a much more intuitive way. But yes, it is definitely similar to Flask and, and Ruby on Rails and other ways of just using R as an abstraction on top of building a web application, which of course has its some cons, but I think it does have a lot of advantages too. That makes a ton of sense. So if I was interested in learning more about R, do you recommend any podcasts perhaps? Oh, yes. Yeah. If you uh, enjoy hearing this, uh, this little voice here, I, I have um, created something called the R podcast since, oh gosh, since 2011. Amazing how time flies. <laughs> oh yeah. But, it, um, it started out as kind of my journey to extend my skills by a phrase I heard by someone I respect in the community called learning out loud. Like I knew I didn't know everything about art when I started it. But I just wanted to kind of put in voice kind of my journey on learning like visualization techniques, data processing techniques. And over time, I was starting to get to know some of the awesome you know, community behind these packages that I use every day at the day job. And I wanted to start connecting with them more. So lately, I've been able to have a lot of interesting interviews with leading members of the community, both from industry and academia and other walks of life. And it's been a lot of fun to learn about their journeys with R, some of the things they've learned, maybe the easy or the hard way, and be able to kind of see the various different backgrounds and how we all can relate to each other through this in my humble opinion, this really awesome data science framework for computing. So I do have that as well as um, an, a couple other ventures I did with respect to that Shiny framework I mentioned earlier. I do what's called a Shiny Developer Series where I was working with our studio to 
highlight members that have developed awesome shiny related packages or documented different workflows. And that's available on shinydevseries.com if you're interested in that space of it too. But yeah, I, there are definitely a lot of resources if you want to listen to tutorials, but also um, there's a boatload of great material by the R Studio team where they made a great book called R for Data Science, where if you're just getting started with this, that's probably the best place to see how you can leverage data science workflows with R. So I highly recommend that as well. Awesome. Awesome. So this is one of the most fun conversations I've had in a while because I know literally nothing about R. I know that it exists. I know that it's popular among piano players, by the way. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry for that. Yeah. No, no, it's great. This comment is more for the YouTube algorithm and the uh, Apple podcast algorithm. That is not being loaded over. That is an original work. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> CC by A. There we go, attribution. It's just taking a step back, right? Because I spend a lot of time with Python people. And they're always saying, oh, Python, data science, man, Python. You, you know, you got to use Python. But I've known, right? I've known that somewhere in the darkness has been R. What's the relationship there? I know they can interop, but maybe this is kind of an oversimplification, which I'm sure it is, or maybe this is just wrong. Is it that R is more specialized? It certainly started that way. Um, R has its roots in academia. Um, in fact, those two professors, uh, Ross Ahaka and Robert Gentleman, that built it from the University of New Zealand at Auckland um, for teaching statistics. So it was written by statisticians and at that start for statisticians. But over time, you know, as, as more of the community got involved, it's become a lot easier to leverage R in some of the more production-like workflows that you would see, like you reference. Maybe engineers are used to building end pipeline in Python. Well, now I think while R still has a couple of quirks that might give some of those in traditional software development a little bit of gray hair here and there, it does have ways to leverage the other tools that are good for particular parts of the job and be able to kind of go back and forth between them. But to me, I think R has now been leveraged in production and even telecom companies like T-Mobile, where they've used that to power some of their chatbots. It's been used to power a lot of deep learning workflows and machine learning, a, a lot of buzzwords you're hearing these days. Um, but it's certainly now, I think, a lot easier to put R in production than it might have been if you had asked me that 10 years ago. I probably would have said, yeah, it's not quite there yet. But now I think we've had a lot of advances in those integrations and also making the back end of some of these packages more performant with things like C++ on the back end and other high performing languages. So R on its own may not be able to do quite enough, but when you hook into other frameworks, it can definitely help you with that journey to put something in production, no matter big or small. Okay, very cool. You mentioned here um, something about metaprogramming. Can you just tell me a little bit about wh what the heck is metaprogramming? I'm sure most of us are familiar with OL and functional. Yeah, so this is a, this is an interesting case here because R itself is, is a very uh, functional language as well as object-oriented language. But what's really interesting about this is that if you want to say make a plot and you define like your X and Y variables as simple vectors of numbers, and then in your plot function, in a typical programming language, you might have to kind of reference or define these different constructs in the function itself, but then you can just pass in these existing objects, X and Y into the function. And it just magically knows 
the traits of those objects, the, the length of them, um, the labels that were put on the plot based on the object name. And so this has been referenced as non-standard evaluation. And like you mentioned, that metaprogramming construct. And it's really advantageous if you're like using R in an interactive way. You've loaded the data, you just want to check things, you just type in the console, and it just magically references it from the environment and kind of knows what you want. And this trips some people up from traditional language because they're used to defining it more verbosely in these functions, but it just kind of magically grabs that particular variable from the environment. I've been able to work with it pretty well, but then you do you do have to kind of think a little differently if you're making a function for more of a backend use versus just drilling down with data and playing with it just to get some quick insights. But it, it has tripped some people up in the past. But um, Hadley Wickham, who is one of the leading package authors in the R community, wrote an excellent book called Advanced R, which kind of talks about R from the perspective of those coming from other languages, where he does some great examples of how to take advantage of non-standard evaluation and when or when not to use it. It is a difficult concept to master at first, but once you do, you can do some interesting workflows that balance the needs of interactive analysis with the needs of building more complex pipelines for like a backend production workflow. Oh, that's, that's very interesting. So what should I have asked you about R that, you know, I probably don't know enough to ask? Well, I think um, you've, you've asked some good questions already, but I do want to emphasize that the community around R is its biggest strength. And with that, you, you might see this in other languages too. Even if a package gets on CRAN, they, they can't always check like for the quality of the code behind it. So you do see a lot of variation sometimes in how different package authors approach different problems. But I think one of the arts of deciding, okay, is this package right for me in my particular project? What's nice is that as of, I would say, six, seven years ago, a lot of the package authors are sharing their source code on GitHub. So you can quickly go on GitHub, take a look at how they built their package and kind of assess for yourself, is this going to be right for me in my project? And that's been just an absolute goldmine for me to see okay, this is the approach they took of that metaprogramming, or this is the approach they took for that shiny input widget to make that web element appear. Um, so I would say just, you know, there's a vast community of packages, but it takes, it probably is behooves the audience to take a sometimes a more critical look at some of the code behind the packages just to make sure it's doing what you expect. But, and if you find an issue, definitely file an issue on GitHub with hopefully what's called a reproducible example where you can easily you know, show how you attack the problem, why you got the error and have all the code that needs to build that example right built for you via appropriate enough another package called RepPrex. So my whole point in this little spiel is definitely don't be shy about interacting with the authors of these packages because they are usually very welcoming, very um, helpful in, in fixing issues. And I had a quick story where I was presenting um, a poster at the recent R Studio conference and the shiny package I was using that kind of made the poster look like a nice little presentation had a little quirk in the demo. I file an issue on their GitHub tracker and not that this is always going to be the case. He fixed it within 10 minutes and I'm like, okay, I love this. You know, that I could get used <laughs> to that. But um, That's the dream. Also, 
that's a dream, right? So I was a little spoiled there. But the point is, is that when you kind of dive into a bit further and you kind of try things out, you'd be very surprised how receptive this community is to kind of make things better and to respond to these different issues. So definitely um, having that, that careful look at how the packages work can be very helpful too. Okay. So I have one question I ask everybody before they go. What is your setup like? So at the day job, um, I do have a MacBook Pro. It's not my personal favorite, but it was better than the Windows stuff that they gave me previously. So I have that for the day job. At home, I am a big advocate of Linux. I've been using Ubuntu since my graduate school days, which was version 804 to date myself very badly. So my day-to-day driver at home is a ThinkPad X1 Carbon running uh, Kubuntu 18.04. And I'm actually in the process of trying to get the new Dell XPS 13 developer edition that was announced in January, but it hasn't nice. been released yet. So I'm keeping checking that website. But I also have a lot of virtual servers uh, through DigitalOcean. They don't sponsor me, so I'm not getting any cutback for this. Um, but I do a lot of interesting automation things there. And I kind of took advantage of Amazon Web Services recently to do a new little audio project called Residual Snippets, where I record a voice memo on Telegram, use the Telegram API to basically auto-transcode it, auto-transcribe it, and then put the transcript in S3, and it made a little shiny mobile application to be like a mini podcast player for it. So why did I do this? Well, I just wanted to try something new because I've been doing some more back-end things at work, and what's the best way to learn is to learn by doing. So Absolutely. That was, that was a fun little project to, to sink my teeth into, and it's certainly not complete yet, but I love kind of pushing the envelope with Linux and open source because it's transformed how I do my day-to-day work, and I just love to learn new things too. So that's that's been a lot of fun. And I have a lot of these different projects on GitHub if you're interested to take a look how I do all this. But um, it, yeah, it's always a learning journey for me. I just love learning cool stuff. Great. And what is your uh, GitHub handle for the folks who probably won't check the show notes? <laughs> sure. Um, so my handle is rpodcast, all lowercase, um, for GitHub. And if you want to follow my exploits on twitter i'm trying to be more active there it's at drcast t-h-e-r-c-a-s-t because at our podcast was taken by someone else Uh, (laughs) the pain of the handle i know (laughs) yes yes um but yeah those are probably the two bases that come find me and also the podcast website is r-podcast.org if you like hearing my takes about r all right. Well, Eric Nance, thank you for coming on and uh, good luck getting that Sputnik edition. I uh, I hear there's quite a lot of interest. So. Yes, I will definitely keep the, my followers updated. And Michael, just want to say thank you so much for having me on because I've been a huge fan since Coda Radio. So this has been a real thrill. Oh, I appreciate that. And thank you for the ed- education. Now I won't look like an idiot in front of our people. So. Let's hope not. Well, you know how to reach <laughs> me if you need more. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you, Eric. Have a great day. Thanks.